Ah, good morning. Good to see y'all. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Being here on a man, another beautiful day here in Steamboat. Man, this is glorious. This is my favorite time of the year. Don't you just love this? Yeah. Pretty good stuff. If you're a visitor with us, if the message stinks, you at least get a good, nice view. Amen. <laughs> uh, my name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here and just uh, glad that you joined us here in person, also online. Welcome. Hey, uh, man, what a fun week. We had a lot of stuff going on, I've, as you heard last night, our big family experience. I'm so proud of our kids team. And it's just an opportunity to help parents know what's going on over there in kids' church and what we're teaching and what's going on. And uh, that was a humdinger of an event. Um, and then this week, uh, boy, we had a couple of weddings, uh, people from our church uh, did a wedding on Friday night. I did one yesterday uh, from families that are connected. And, and then I saw many of you over at the uh, SELA uh, banquet, and this young lady who's about to sit down, she was one of the speakers, shared a testimony about God giving her a, a great gift and uh, what God has done in that. So man, good to see you all out there in the community being a part of that, and thank you for being here. It's kind of a bummer of a day um, because we're getting to the end, uh, nearing the end of this Series that we've been doing called the Church, quote unquote. And uh, uh, if if you missed last week's message, I'm telling you, uh, it, it, it may be uh, may, that may have been the message of the year. I, I you have if you're any way connected to SCC, if this is somehow your church or some way involved, please, 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 you missed last week's message. Go back and listen to it. Um, it it was great in many ways. I would say uh, Julie's message um, should have been the final word on this subject that we've been talking about called the church. Um, it, it clearly and succinctly encapsulated everything, everything that we're trying to do as a church here. And so please check that out. Um, it was brilliant. Uh, maybe you're listening to me and you're like, well, if that was it, then why are we doing another one on this? And that's a good question. Uh, and, 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 and I have a good answer. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna wrestle with you about one more question that I think that's kind of on our minds and it's definitely in how the world kind of views some things. And I want to look at another question together today and try to answer it. Uh, and I think it'll help us as we move forward and away from this series. Um, uh, before I get to that, though, I know that some of you are visiting, and I just want to help some of you that are just joining us right now catch up in our series. We're kind of near the end, so you're kind of coming in halfway near the end of the movie, and, and I want to catch you up. Over the last few weeks, very simply, uh, we've been trying to answer this question, okay? And if you think about it, it's a good question, and that is, how in the world uh, did the message of a Jewish carpenter living in the far-off corner in the armpit of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. How did that message spread around the world so quickly? I mean, how did that happen? Uh, There's just one guy. And, and, and now, you know, uh, uh, today, over a third of our world's population um, uh, has embraced that message in spite of uh, resistance and persecution and even stupidity on the part of the church <laughs> over the years. How did that happen? How did that happen, man? I, I tell you, um, over the years, uh, secular historians have tried to answer this question. I'm a historian. I have a degree in history. And they have tried to answer these questions because to them, there has to be a natural explanation to how the church has done what it's done because it can't be supernatural to them. There has to be a natural explanation and the problem is is most of the natural explanations fall short. Um, the reality is is that there is probably no better explanation on how this happened than the explanation that we find in the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts is a letter, actually. It was written by a fellow by the name of Luke, who was a physician in the first century. Uh, and he went around and investigated and inter- interviewed hundreds of people about what they saw and what they experienced. And, and, and these were people that were there uh, when the church got started, when the church was born. And, uh, and as we've seen uh, over these last few weeks, the church didn't start out as a place to go which it, it is kind of today. We all kind of go, I'm gonna go to church or I'm gonna go to a church, I'm gonna go to that place. Um, the church didn't start out as a place. It started out as a movement. It started out as a movement of people um, and it wasn't focused on buildings and, and priests and liturgy and all of that stuff. Um, it was focused on a message. That was its core. It was on a message, a very um, uh, hopeful and yet very simple message. That message had four parts to it. Number one, the message said that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. Number two, he was buried in a grave because that's what you do with dead people. Uh, Number three, God raised him back to life. And number four, there were hundreds of people who witnessed this, who saw this Jesus who was nailed to a cross, beaten and whipped and died, saw him back alive, saw him come back from the dead. And... uh, And the church was born on this day when these people, these people flooded the streets of Jerusalem and they boldly declared this amazing yet kind of hard to believe event actually happened. And and, and they said, hey, this didn't happen a hundred years ago. This didn't happen in a place a hundred miles from here. This wasn't uh, once upon a time in a a place far away from here a long time ago. No, though they said this thing happened just a few weeks ago right here in this place that we're living In other words, you can verify this or not verify it, but you can check into it. It happened. That's what they said. And news of this event, the resurrection, uh, spread quickly. And soon thousands of people had embraced this message. And the powers that be back at that time, the Roman Empire and the Jewish authorities, they kind of felt threatened by this growing momentum of this movement. And so they began to persecute and arrest these early Christians. What's strange is is that these Christians, instead of backing down because of these threats, these Christians became even more bold in sharing what they had saw. And, uh, and, uh, and, so, and then something even stranger happened. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The number one persecutor, uh, the number one guy, the guy that was leading the charge on arresting and killing Christians converted to Christianity. It blew everybody's mind, including his own. Uh, the infamous Saul of Tarsus, the dreaded Saul of Tarsus, who had been spending years chasing down and imprisoning Christians and trying to squash this thing, all of a sudden he became the number one advocate of this movement. His name changed to Paul, and he began to travel uh, around the Mediterranean, all over the Mediterranean. Uh, I mean, uh, you see a map right here um, that he went to all these different places and, and, and shared his story, shared what he had saw. Uh, and he started little churches or little ecclesias. That's a Greek word for church. Um, it, it means gatherings of people. Uh, at about the fourth century, the word for church became a German derivative, a, a kircha, which means a gathering place. But the original word for church was ecclesia, a gathering of people. And, uh, and, and so uh, they, he planted these uh, places and, and the Romans and the Greeks, these people who had completely different backgrounds than his own. He was a Jew, you know, one of the top Jews. Uh, they began to embrace 
this idea of a risen Savior. And uh, this movement spread and it spread and it spread like wildfire. Uh, but then uh, we talked about this uh, in 67 AD. We know when this happened. Um, the Roman emperor at that time was a fellow by the name of Nero. And he was not very friendly with Christianity or with Christians. He pulled Paul out of a prison cell that he had been keeping him in for a few years and uh, took Paul out one morning and beheaded him, killed him. And uh, everybody, it was kind of assumed that this movement, that would be the end of this movement. That would be kind of the done deal on that. And, uh, and now, here we are 2,000 years later, and the Roman Empire and ancient Judaism have long since gone away, but the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and kicking in spite of ourselves. <laughs> We're still here, and it's uh, incredible. And no one could have predicted it. It started out as just a ragtag bunch of people, and no one could have predicted the church's growth and survival throughout the centuries is without a doubt one of history's greatest mysteries. It really is. Um, but over the last few weeks, I feel like we've tried to do a good job of showing you from the book of Acts how this happened and why it happened. And I'm hopeful that God will cause it to happen again. It can be done. What God did once, he can do again. And so the question that I want to wrestle with you today and try to answer is this question right here. And it's one that's kind of in the back of all of our minds and definitely the world. And that is this. Does the church still matter? Does the church still matter? I mean, this thing is 2,000 years old by now. This is an ancient organization, idea, whatever you want to say. And you kind of wonder, is our message still relevant in this modern day and to this world right now? I mean, if uh, we, the church, we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. If we were to just uh, suddenly disappear, would, uh, would it make any difference at all? to our culture and to our world at all? Would they care? Would it matter? Well, I, I have an answer. I think the answer is yes. And of course, you, you're not surprised that I would say that. And, and maybe you would push back on that a little bit. And the reason that you might push back on that is probably most likely because of where you're from. Uh, you know, our culture that we grew up in and that we live in and are experiencing every day is more Christianized than we think. I know it's become less Christian over the years, but it's more Christianized than we think. As Americans, our view of right and wrong has been so impacted, whether you're a believer or not, our view of what right and wrong has been so impacted by Christianity, we can't fully appreciate or even recognize it when it shows up in our culture. Uh, most of us were raised in this culture where these certain values are accepted, widely accepted, and even taught, not just in churches um, uh, or, or in our homes, but even in public schools, they, they emphasize some of these things that we believe. And, uh, and so I think many of us just kind of assume that most people in the world believe the same things we believe. Uh, but that's not the truth. I've been to a lot of different places in the world, and they don't believe uh, kind of some of the things that we just as Americans kind of believe. Um, let me just give you a little perspective here. I want to read to you a different point of view that's going to be interesting. Uh, a fellow by the name of David Aikman, uh, who was a former Beijing, Beijing bureau chief for Time Magazine. He was kind of the news gatherer there in, in China uh, for Time Magazine. He's written 15 books. He's lectured at Harvard. This guy's brilliant. He's interviewed uh, all kinds of people, Mother Teresa, Boris Yeltsin, Billy Graham. Interviewed a lot of people. While he, he was in Beijing, he interviewed a Chinese social scientist, a sociologist, 
by the government. This guy that he interviewed was fully indoctrinated in Maoist and communist thought. Totally bought in to those things and he had been assigned by his government to study the West. And more specifically to study the United States and why and try to determine why our culture has been so successful. So China was like, what have they done that's made them so successful? And this is some quotes he said. He said this, we studied everything that we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective as to the West's preeminence and power. They said this, at first we thought that it was because you guys had more powerful guns and weapons of war than we had. And that would be an obvious place to start. You know, the theory would be that the bigger the guns you have, the more powerful you are, the more powerful you are, the more stable your economy can be. But they realized that it wasn't the guns and it wasn't about that. There was something else cooking. And then he says this, then we thought that it might be your political and economic systems that you have and that they were superior to ours. And then they discovered that necessarily wasn't it either. Now listen to this statement. This is brilliant. Chinese sociologists. Over the past 20 years of studying this, we have come to realize that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. The heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. And that's why the West has been so successful. Now, most Americans would not say that. They don't see it that way. They would say that, yes, it is our economy that has made us strong. Or it's, it's uh, our military that has caused us to be successful. Or it's uh, our geography. There have been theories that are put out there that the reason we've been successful is that we're buffeted by two different large oceans and we kind of by ourselves and we don't have to deal with a lot of the chaos. And there's something to that. But, but the smart people, the smartest people in China studied this and they asked the question, what's the secret sauce to the United States and to the West? Why have they been so successful? And the answer that came to them was Christianity. This is surprising in our world today. In fact, he said this. He said, now get this. He said, the Christian moral foundation, the Christian foundation that this country and the morals that we kind of all agree on of the social and cultural life in the West is what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then its successful transition to democratic free politics. We don't have any doubt about this. It was the Christian morals that led to this. In other words, it wasn't just capitalism that made the West kind of pop. It was capitalism with a conscience. You see, uh, our form of capitalism uh, has uh, some connections and is informed by the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament. That there are certain ways to do business that we all kind of agreed are better than other ways. And that we try to follow those. Not 100%, but that's it. And so what I'm saying is, is that the Chinese, get this, the Chinese discovered that the secret to the West's success were these commonly held values that have come from the church. <laughs> I mean, this is astounding. And uh, they even saw the positive effects of Christianity in their own country even though it's banned, they, they said this, these studies revealed that in rural areas of China that are far away from other cities that are kind of by themselves, where traveling missionaries had introduced the Christian faith, crime had dropped, opium addiction had been decreased, and Christian families grew wealthier than their neighbors. Chinese sociologists have discovered what we have forgotten. The church matters. The church matters. The church makes a positive cultural difference in our world but like I said many Americans would probably resist that idea but it's true I think 
Um, and here's why I think many people can't see it. It's because we think that this all comes naturally. We're so used to it, we just think it's natural. We assume that people naturally uh, want to treat their neighbors well. We assume that that comes naturally. We assume that people naturally want to be free and that they want their neighbors and others to live free and prosperous lives as well. But if you watch the news at night, you, you read the news from around the world, you know that that's not true. I've been to Cuba, that's not true. Uh, and you and I, we look at parts of the world, I look at certain countries, and I, and I look at them and I'm like, why can't they get their act together over there? I mean, that's just, why don't they quit this foolishness that they're doing? Uh, uh, why don't they do something about their poverty? Why don't they do something about their racism and, and, and the, the civil rights that are going on in their communities? Why don't they do this and why don't they do that? And we ask those questions and the answer is, is they don't see life the same way we do. They just don't. You and I have been so impacted by the New Testament church that we don't understand how unnatural this really is. And so... I thought about that this week and I, I remembered and reminded myself that um, I've been to Africa a few times. Uh, and the first time I went, um, I got to go on a safari. And when you go on a safari, the goal is to see the big five. You know what the big five is? Yeah, these, these large animals that you want to see when you go. You want to see the elephants. You want to see the black rhinoceros. You want to see the African buffalo. You want to see leopards. And then what else do you want to see? lions right we all want to see the lions but more than that we want to see lions kill and eat something too amen that's really what we want to see them in action I've seen lions and zoos just sitting around doing nothing but I want to see them I want to see that and uh and so uh when we got there uh you know uh when you go on a safari they tell you to look for buzzards Right? Because the buzzards are usually circling over something that's dead or being killed. And, and when you see that, then the lions are usually nearby. And so while we're out there, we're out there, uh, we saw some buzzards and we ran our jeeps, whatever those big trucks were, over to where they were. And of course, what we using our binoculars, we could see these lions were over there eat, munching on some animal. They were just chewing it up. And I'm telling you, it was frightening to just watch them tear at that carcass and that flesh and, and they're, you know, and snarling each other. It was just a hair on your neck. And, and so you're just hypnotized by this. I mean, it's just fascinating. And then little by little, I put my binoculars down and I kind of panned back a little bit and I saw something that was interesting. Um, I saw that there was actually a line of other animals around on the outside, on the peripheral of this. They were all waiting their turn <laughs> uh, to get there. First, you had the hyenas, which are these large, funky, mean-looking, ugly kind of animals, just weird, crazy thing. They were kind of there. And then, then you had the jackals, which were these small little kind of fox-like dogs that were skinny and yipping around, and they were on the outside. And then beyond them were, of course, the buzzards. And uh, why were they all there? They were waiting their turn. That's nature. Um, nature is, is very simple. Those with the most power eat first and go first and so on. And that's just the way it is. In fact, not once did I see any of those lions step back and go, hey, hyenas, come on, there's plenty, go have, have some. Or, hey, jackals, you guys look a little famished, come on in here. We, 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 you don't see that, why? Because there's no sharing in nature. That's not how it works. Nature is first come, first serve, and the biggest get the best, and the rest get whatever, right? There's no sharing in nature. There's no generosity in nature. There's no grace in nature. There's no forgiveness in nature. 
There's just, just no sharing in nature. And the truth is, um, human nature isn't that much different. At our core, that's how we roll. Uh, we don't like to believe that, you know, especially us as Americans. You know, we look at, well, America. This, we're Americans. We're, we're, we're generous. We love charity. We give and we help and, and we love to share. But that's not true everywhere. In, in, in many countries, uh, the most powerful don't care a rip about the least. And they don't share anything with those that are in need. I've been to Cuba, like I said. I've seen just the, 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 the it's, it's horrible. And, uh, and they don't share with anyone. And, and, and why? Because human nature is selfish. Left to its own device, it will take care of itself. And, and even some can- countries have a caste system. Um, uh, and that's normal. Why? Because I would suggest to you that human nature is racist at its core. Uh, you know, you're, you're different than me. And uh, I'm, I think I'm better than you. And I deserve to have more than you. I, we just see it all over. And, and left to its own devices, human nature is racist. And human nature is selfish. And human nature cheats. And human nature lies. And it steals. And it takes and it never gives. <laughs> Again, we don't like to admit that. But it's true. And it plays itself out every day all over the world. But the teachings of the church, the teachings of the church says um, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to be that way. Um, the teachings of the church says that there's actually a better way to live. Um, than just by our human nature and our human impulses. In fact, Paul, the same guy, this is interesting, the same guy who spent years of his life terrorizing and killing Christians and then one day suddenly began to spread Christianity all around the Mediterranean, he wrote about this different way that he had discovered in his own life. He wrote about this different way. And in his letter to the people in Galatia, uh, Paul says something really insightful. Um, it's something that we often miss, but it's brilliant. And, and, and what he does first, though, it's interesting, is that he describes what human nature does when it's just left to its own devices. He describes um, what happens when people just do what people do. And it's kind of ugly. It's kind of gross. And, uh, and then he contrasts that to a different approach to life. Uh, He contrasts that to what happens, listen to this, what happens when people allow God to control their behavior. And and, and the results are amazing. I mean, the the differences couldn't be more. And it's what the church, I want you to understand this, this is what the church is supposed to look like in this broken, dangerous, depraved world. He says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so I say to you, walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk with and invite the Spirit of God to be a part of your life. And he says, and here's what will happen. You will not gratify the desires of your sinful human nature. You won't just give in to those things. And, and then he goes on, he says, let me just tell you what the acts of the sinful nature are. And they're obvious. In other words, I'm going to give you a list here. And when you see this list, you're not going to go, Wow! Whoa, people really do those kind of things? You know, you won't go, oh yeah, yeah, I know some people that do that. In fact, the guy that I look at in the mirror in the morning does those things sometimes too. And so you're like, yeah, I recognize that. And so he goes on, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. He starts with the big one. He goes right to the heart of this. 
And by the way, you can define sexual immorality any way that you want in this room right now. But I would suggest that every person in this room has an idea of what they think is sexually immoral, right? Uh, and, and whether you put, point a finger at someone else's thing that they're doing or you kind of think about what you've been tempted or have engaged in in your own self, I think that we would all agree that sexual immorality is a natural behavior of human beings. That there is some things that we kind of are bent towards in that. And so he goes on. Sexual immorality, impurity. He uses the word debauchery. That's an old school word. We don't use that to describe anything nowadays, but there is a definition to it. When you look at the definition, you're like, ooh, that might be what's going on here. Debauchery. And let me just say something real quick, if I can, just to make a point. Uh, I want to speak to the men for a minute. Uh, Ladies, talk amongst yourselves here for a second. Uh, But guys, I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine this, not too deeply, but I want you to imagine living in a world where you are totally allowed to let your sexual nature control your behavior. Can anybody imagine that? <laughs> if you're a 13-year-old boy, you can go there pretty quick. Uh, but uh, at first, it might seem a little exciting and maybe fun. But boy, uh, you would know that things would get kind of, it wouldn't be long before things get gross. And, uh, and more than that, it wouldn't be long before there would be total chaos. And that uh, a, cl- a collapse would happen in our culture. We just know this. History's proved it out. In fact, you know, there was a a culture in the first century that lived just like this. It was called the Roman culture. They completely gave in to this. And uh, since then, we have seen uh, other numerous cultures and emperors and kings that have kind of lived like that. And to a T, every single one of them, all of those cultures were destroyed from the inside out. They all came crashing down one after another and so we know the results of that and 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 it's funny but I want you to just imagine uh, what our community would be like if we were what our schools would be like what our world would be like if there wasn't some sort of limit some sort of breaks on that part of human nature be pretty 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 icky and weird so anyway, Paul goes on. He, he gives us a couple other things that happen. Uh, he said, idolatry and witchcraft. Again, two words that we never, hardly ever use. But idolatry is more familiar to you than you think. Idolatry is basically when we put more value on something than on someone. Right? It's when we put more value on our stuff than on our people. And witchcraft, witchcraft is basically defined as just using the supernatural for your own benefit to manipulate things so you can get what you want to get your goals the way you want them and do a shortcut on that. So that's witchcraft. But he goes on. He uses some ones that we're pretty familiar with. He goes, hatred and discord and jealousy. These are things that you and I are familiar with. We know what those are. And we often see the person in the mirror doing some of those things. In fact, women, uh, ladies, you need to admit this. Uh, You don't like skinny women, do you? I know you wouldn't say it out loud. But secretly in your mind, deep down, you kind of are resentful against those skinny ladies, man. I, I know. And men, you don't like rich men. You look at them with the nice cars and their houses, and inside there's a part of you that goes, I don't like that guy. Why? Because he has more than I. Now, you don't maybe stay there very long in your mind, but that, that hits you. Your first thing is, right? Why? Because that's just, it's natural. 
we kind of go there. We all do it. And then Paul concludes, he says, uh, there's fits of rage. Think about our culture today. See if any of these have fit. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, one group fighting another group, right? Divisiveness, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and I like this last line, and the like. Uh, the Greek word for and the like there is ekatera. It's where we get the word etc. <laughs> so Paul is saying etc, etc. In other words, there's more on this list, but I don't need to list them all because you know what they are. You know the things I'm talking about when you see them, right? There's a lot more I could go down this road if I need to. Now, as you and I read that list, none of us would claim that any of those behaviors are unnatural to human beings. They all kind of come naturally to us. We don't have to force ourselves to go there. It comes easy that we all have felt something pulling us in each one of those directions. In fact, this is why our society has laws. It's to curb us against those things, right? We have laws to kind of rein some of that behavior in or else we wouldn't be able to survive each other if we all just gave in to all of that, right? And yet, we still kind of do those things. But then Paul uh, changes gears. He, he says, hey, there's another way. It doesn't have to be that way. There's another way. And he, he starts off in verse 22 by saying this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the results, the produce of the Spirit... Now the spirit, I want you to get this, is the very same thing that helped the first century church survive and thrive in the midst of intense persecution and resistance. The spirit, the spirit of God, is the very thing that enabled the early Christians to go out into the streets and boldly declare that God had done a completely new thing and that Jesus was alive. And even in the face of threats, they're like, it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that gave them the boldness. And here's the thing I want you to get. It also gave them the ability to live in a different way that eventually won over the Roman uh, Empire. I mean, for hundreds of years, Christians were persecuted and beaten down. But eventually, the way they lived flipped that culture to one day, an emperor of Rome said, uh, we're now going Christian. Because they were doing something different. And it was attractive. And it was, and it was, it was amazing. And so Paul describes, he says, but the fruit, the result, the produce of having God's spirit inside of you, number one, is love. Now who can argue with love? Love is good. That's a good thing. Compared to those other things, that's the best thing. Love. And, and, and it's not just the kind of love that, you know, I love hot dogs. Uh, it's the love that is sacrificial. It's the love that says, you go first. It's the love that says, hey, Take my seat. It's a love that puts other people first before themselves. And you don't find that in nature anywhere. Then he says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Now, in nature, we do see vestiges of peace. You can walk through a meadow and go, oh, how peaceful is this? But nature can turn pretty quickly. If you don't believe me, ask the people that are living in Fort Myers, Florida today about peace and what they've experienced recently, the chaos the craziness and the power and the force of nature and the, just broken. Then he, then he goes on. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's something that's kind of gotten lost in our culture. 
Faithfulness, let me define that, is when you say, hey, listen, if I said I will do it, I'm going to do it. If I said I'll be there, I'm going to be there. If I sign my name on the, on the letter or on the contract or on the license or if I gave my word, even if the state of Colorado can't force me to do this, I will force me to do this. I will do what I said I would do. That's faithfulness. And so he goes on. He goes, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Just think about this. Oh, uh, peace and patient. People are patient with each other. Kind, goodness, faithfulness. And then he gives his last two, gentleness and self-control. <laughs> self-control is the one I always forget in this list. <laughs> Not surprisingly. I, I can list all this, but I, what's that last one? Oh yeah, self-control. The one I have the most problem with. And, 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 and self-control runs contrary to everything that our human nature urges us to do. Our human nature loves excess more and more. And self-control says, no, we've had enough. Need to stop here. And I thought about this over the years. What would happen if for just one month of a year in America, we had self-control month? Right? What would happen if, imagine in America for just one month, uh, everyone would exercise perfect self-control? Would that be a good month or a bad month? What do you think? That'd be a good month. It'd be a great month. I mean, people would be skinnier and healthier and happier. People uh, they, they, would get along better. Our marriages would get better and happier. Uh, certain businesses in our community and even on the internet would go out of business for a month or two, you know, right? And, uh, and if our culture could just embrace that one value for one month, boy, the world would be a, uh, almost a completely different place. And so Paul gives us all these lists of things that happen when God is invited into our lives, what our world would be like. And look at what he says. He ends this dialogue with a brilliant thought. And you have read this before and you probably passed right over it. But this is brilliant when you think about it. It's astounding. He said this, against such things that I just listed, there is no law. You can go and look on the books of every civilized society of law books and you won't find any law against being patient. You won't find any law that prevents you from being too kind. In other words, there's no limit to how much of those things that you can do in this world. Uh, and so think about this. When it comes to our human nature, we have to have laws to kind of curb us from those behaviors that he listed before to hold us back or things just fall apart. Um, but when a person or a family or a community or a culture or a nation embraces the work of the spirit nature, embraces the spirit in their lives, Paul says there's no need for laws anymore. There's no need laws to restrict any of that. I mean, you never hear someone say, hey, you need to stop being so patient. Or, hey, stop being so joyful. Or, hey, kids, I'm gonna pull over if you stop being so kind to each other, you know, or... And what about too much love? Can we get enough of that? You ever had too much love? Paul is saying here, listen, that when a culture embraces God's spirit, the need for laws are gone. And that's why great marriages don't have a lot of rules. Might not have any rules. Not like what time you gotta be back, you gotta be back here, how much you spend, no, no, no. no. Great marriages don't need that because they have one rule and that is the rule of love. I will honor you 
and put you first and you will do the same with me, we're going to get along just fine. Uh, great uh, uh, families don't have a lot of rules and regulations because love is ruling that and guiding that. And great businesses don't have a big, thick policy manual. Love and consideration for one another kind of run that. And so, let's go back to the question. Does the church matter? Does the church matter? Are you kidding me? (laughs) You and I are the stewards of a better way. We are the carriers of a message of a better life for people. We've been given that. Jesus said, I come to give life and life more abundantly. Love, joy, peace, patience, a life you can't even imagine. That's what I want. And we've been given that and we are to share it. And let me just be clear. Uh, Over the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion in our culture and our world about how there is no culture better than another culture, right? And, 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 And in one sense, that's true. Cultures just kind of evolve and they're all what they are. But in another sense, it's not true. Um, listen to me, the church has never said that all cultures are equal in terms of experience or quality of life. The church has always been clear. It's always said, hey, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. Uh, In fact, they spoke it as an example to the Roman culture. The church said, hey, listen, we don't think that a culture that treats women as property, we don't think that that's good. And they spoke against it. Um, they, they said, we don't think that a culture that says that whatever the emperor says is lawful or unlawful, we don't think that that's such a good idea because uh, kings and, and, and emperors are often twisted. We don't think that's good. Uh, we don't think that a culture that puts people in some sort of order, a caste system, we don't think that that's good. We believe that all of us are the same in Christ, that we all have value. The church has said, listen, listen, we're not better um, because God has made us better. That's not what the church has said. No, the church has said our culture is better. Our way of life is definitely better than what the world is doing. And in, even today, the church says this. It says, hey, we don't think that a culture that says that a father can put his daughter to death because she has dishonored the family, we don't think that that's okay. Uh, uh, we don't think that the culture, a culture that says little girls are less valuable than little boys um, is good. We don't think that that's good. And we know that there's a massive culture over a billion people that absolutely, that's, that's how it is run. And, and, and we don't think that a culture that leaves uh, special needs children out in the woods or puts them out in the streets to die, we don't think that that's good. In fact, it is interesting uh, in, 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 in countries where little boys are valued more than little girls and where special needs children are left behind. Guess who's adopting those children? Christians. In fact, Friday night, met a guy who's adopted three special needs children down, with Down syndrome from China, him and his wife. Why? Because they know what happens to those children over there and they can't live with themselves over here. The church, let me be very clear. We've kind of said it sometimes and we've said it poorly, but the church doesn't say and doesn't believe that we are better than anyone else. We just believe that there's a better way of life and a better approach to life. 
And I think the world needs a church. I think the world needs a church. It's the church that teaches that every person you and I look into the eyes of was made in the image of God and has uh, value and should be treated accordingly. It's the church that teaches that the powerful should serve and care for the powerless. It's the church that teaches that we should forgive because God has forgiven us. And by the way, that's not natural. What's natural is to be bitter and angry and hateful to those who have hurt you. What is supernatural is to forgive them. It's the church that teaches that we should generously give to those who can probably never give back. It's the church that teaches that husbands should love their wives sacrificially. It's the church that teaches that sex isn't the same thing as love. Did you know that? They're not the same thing, and yet our culture says it. And, 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 and it teaches that sex isn't just a physical thing. It's just this thing that's physical. It's spiritual. Anyone that has been sexually abused knows that there's something more that's gone on inside them than just something physical. They are scarred, and they carry that pain and that discomfort for the rest of their lives. Sex is spiritual. It's dangerous. It's, it's powerful. It's like fire. It can bring a lot of good. It can bring warmth and wonderful things, but it can also hurt and it needs to be contained within the boundaries of marriage. It's the church that teaches that tolerance, that's not enough. I'll tolerate you. I tolerate you. No, it's the church that teaches that we must love others like Jesus loved us 100% all the way. I mean, what would happen if all of those ideas just vanished from our society? What would it be like? What would this world be like then? You don't have to look back too far in history to see the results of that. Um, Soviet Russia is a great example. They decided that there's no God and that the only God was their government and that's how they run it and that's how their people ran it. And then when that government failed, um, we had a free market system open up over there, but it wasn't the same as here. Uh, that was capitalism without a conscience. Get what you can, however you can. And now they have a leader that feels like he can attack neighboring countries and take land and do whatever he wants. And we're on the verge of World War III. Is what we're doing here matter? You have no idea. Uh, it, 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 we have a way of life that is better and it leads to a better life. And we need to realize that we have been given this. We are the stewards of this life and life more abundantly. You and I have been commissioned and asked by our Savior to share this life with others and with the world. We are not only the stewards of a message of eternal life. We are the stewards of a message of a better life, here and now. And we gotta do it. And if we don't, who will? Church matters, amen? It's up to us. I hope you feel this a little bit. I hope this Christianity ride that you've been on has been fun and wonderful for you. And it may feel like a cruise ship and you got your thing back and you got your little boat drink. <laughs> I'm going to heaven, man, this is wonderful. Look at this. Hey, at some point, hopefully Christians will realize that we're on a battleship and that there are people out there that are hurting and dying and that we have the cure for cancer. 
We have the cure for hopelessness. We need to share it. We need to do something. And the baton is handed to us, and it's our turn. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Hey, God, uh, thank you for giving us a church. It's not always been perfect. It has been far from perfect because it's got imperfect people. Um, but, Lord, uh, it's the greatest hope for our society. It's the best. It's like Noah's Ark. It's filled with a lot of crazy, weird animals, with a lot of funky smells. But it's the only thing that's floating. And so, God, help us to get on board and to get our place and to do our role and to pass this on to the next generation, this thing that has for centuries made the world a better place. Help us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.